As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. We are going to be taking a short break from our normal schedule to have a look at the life, legacy and impact of C.S. Lewis. Lewis is one of the most influential voices in modern Christianity. The 20th century British writer and lay theologian has profoundly impacted Christians around the world and brought many atheists and agnostics to faith in Jesus. On November the 22nd, 1963, Clive Staples Lewis Jack, to many of his friends, died in Oxford, England. His death was somewhat overshadowed that day by the assassination of the US President John F. Kennedy. However, 60 years later, we want to take some time to reflect on his life and ask the really important question, 60 years after C.S. Lewis's death, is he still relevant? I am joined once again by Professor Alistair McGrath, a C.S. Lewis scholar whose faith journey in many ways mirrors Lewis's own. Both men were raised in Northern Ireland, studied at Oxford University and went on to become professors there. They also both came to faith from atheism slightly later in life. Alistair has written numerous books on C.S. Lewis, including his seminal biography, C.S. Lewis, A Life. Alistair, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's great to be back. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Alistair, C.S. Lewis played a significant part in your own journey to faith. Would you share just a little bit of your own story and how Lewis played a part in that? Yes, I mean, sure, many people would tell the story like this. But when I was a teenager in Belfast, I was an atheist like Lewis. Um, And one of the major reasons for this was um, my feeling that science and religion simply were not compatible. I loved science, therefore it seemed to me religion was simply utterly impossible for me as an intellectual option. And also, of course, there are other reasons, like, for example, there was a lot of religious tension and violence in Belfast at the time. But I came to Oxford University to study chemistry, and I was really, by that time, beginning to think atheism well, you know, it might be right, but it's a bit dull. It doesn't really make all that much sense of things. And I was really beginning to have doubts about atheism. I was beginning to realise that atheism was really a faith. In other words, you believe there's no God, but you can't show there's no God. And eventually, after talking to lots of Christians and doing lots of hard thinking, I decided to become a Christian. And that's when things got interesting, because clearly I wanted to explore my new faith. And my many Christian friends were wanted to be helpful, but actually they, they couldn't really answer my questions. Um, mm. And they got a bit annoyed with me pestering them all the time. 
And eventually one, I think in probably near desperation, said, oh, for heaven's sake, <laughs> Alistair, why don't you try reading C.S. Lewis, who I'd heard of, but I hadn't actually read. And so I went to the local bookstore, bought a copy of C.S. Lewis's essays, and it's called The Astro Paper, and began to read him. And, well, uh, I liked what I read. I found it extremely helpful. It answered my questions. It gave me a big vision of what Christianity was all about. And to cut a long story short, I'm still reading C.S. Lewis today, 50 years later. And obviously, you've read a huge amount of his works, possibly everything he's ever written, including a lot of his letters. You did a huge amount of research for, for your wonderful biography. Do you think there are any ways in particular that Lewis's views have influenced your own theological perspectives? Well, I think they are. They are. I mean, they're, they're there when you look for them. And I think what I need to say is that um, Lewis is like a very good conversation partner where, you know, I'm doing the talking, I know, but I'm listening. And sometimes Lewis helps me to see things in a new way or to give me a new line of inquiry. And so really, Lewis is a very significant influence on me, as he is on so many other people. And so I think the, the key thing I would say is that Lewis proved to be one of those very rare things, someone you read again and again and again, and who actually reshapes you. He kind of gives you new ways of thinking which are helpful. And there are very few other writers, Christian or otherwise, which actually do that for me. So he, he really is very special for me. Now, Alistair, I would imagine that you would say that 60 years after his death, Lewis is still relevant, and we'll get to those later. But before we do that, would you mind articulating perhaps some of the reasons that people may say that he's not relevant today or is out of date or is of his time? Yes, I think there are a number of reasons people would suggest that, in fact, saying, look, Lewis may have been great in the past, but actually it can't go on for a number of reasons. Let me tell you what those reasons are. The first one is clearly a lot of Lewis's um, ideas and ways of thinking and also the kind of backgrounds he inserts in his novels and reflects in his letters. They belong in the past. You know, very often you, when you read Lewis, you feel there's a lost world here, that Lewis is speaking from the 1940s or 1950s, and actually we aren't there anymore. And therefore, I think people do feel a slight sense of disconnection that we all know everyone's embedded in a particular period in history. We understand that. Uh, but the time comes when you move on, feel actually this is a past voice which doesn't really understand today's questions. And that's the second point I really want to explore. It's not simply Lewis is located in the past. It's actually things have moved on quite significantly. And therefore, unless Lewis was some kind of prophet, Lewis would not really be able to engage with the questions that we are worried about. He might be able to give us a framework which we could then adapt and apply to our new situation. But he himself has, has not been through the kind of things that we're going through. And the final point to make is Lewis is white and male mm. and heterosexual. And therefore, that kind of way makes him a little bit problematic for some people in today's culture, feeling that that is kind of um, that, that's a kind that's a kind of social category that, that really needs to be de-emphasized in an increasingly complex world. So there's some reasons for simply making the point that Lewis may have been great in the past, but it's not entirely self-evident he's going to continue to be so. You've definitely touched on this already, but what are some of the accusations that have been levelled against Lewis, apart from the fact that he's no longer relevant and he's from his 
from his you know from the particular era that he's writing and i guess significantly do you think that any of these accusations that have been leveled against him are legitimate concerns well hey one of the points that's very often made is that lewis is rather masculine that actually he he thinks as a man he writes as a man and therefore that that might alienate half the human race and people like that <laughs> so, I mean, it is actually a fair point if you think of lewis i mean his mother died when he was you know really quite young um, and um, he was left with a brother and a father and he went off to boys boarding schools then into the British army then into an all-male Oxford college so you can see that actually his opportunities for developing friendships with women actually weren't really all that good um, so you can you can excuse Lewis for this but actually some people will still say look um, this is a problem for some people that Lewis is a man and therefore that Lewis unless he's able to kind of way reach beyond his own gender specificity isn't really going to be able to speak to quite a lot of people so I think that's another thing we need to bear in mind I'm, I'm not sure about this one I have to say actually uh, what people very often find is when reading Lewis he speaks to them as a person in other words, not a gendered individual, but simply a human being who's intelligent, interesting and engaging. And, you know, you can close your eyes and just imagine Lewis speaking to you, but he doesn't speak to you as if he were a man. As much as he speaks to you as if he's an intelligent human being. And that may be why so many people can relate to him, because as Lewis is dead, um, in effect, what he was recedes into the past and what he is for us now is what we read. So in effect, if you like, we are interacting with Lewis and making of him what we will. Um, and so in effect, this, this makes it a lot easier, I think, for Lewis to transcend these boundaries. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' death, resurrection and return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' death, resurrection and return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. Now, I guess Lewis is probably most well known for his Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and, and obviously, there's lots of the Narnia Chronicles that stands the test of time. But do you think there are any parts of this series that haven't aged particularly well for a modern audience? And I suppose, what should we do about that if you think that it is the case, that there are certain parts of it that haven't aged well? Well, I think some parts of it haven't aged well because um, they... They, in effect, insert you within a historical location. For example, um, think of um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. You really need to know a bit about um, 
British life in the 1950s. You need to be aware, for example, that sweet rationing was still going on when Lewis wrote that book. So in effect, when Lewis describes these remarkable feasts which seem quite modest to us, they will seem quite quite extravagant by British standards of the time. But I think part of the problem, I think, really, is that Lewis cannot help but reflect social attitudes that are bygone, and therefore that what Lewis very often presents as unproblematic or normal actually to, to more recent readers would seem a little bit difficult, and therefore I think that is a real issue. Lewis does come across as potentially someone who is rather conservative politically, who's kind of way echoing middle-class norms of the 1940s, early 1950s. At times, he t- tends to speak a bit disparagingly about certain social groups. For example, are the Kalomines in, in Narnia really uh, an implied criticism of Islam? We don't know. Um, one of the problems here with both Lewis and Tolkien is they're deeply shaped by Anglo-Saxon and medieval English literature. Well, always, if there's a threat, it's going to come from the East. And therefore, there's, a, I think, a, a problem here of how Lewis refers to other races. I think there are other problems as well, but certainly what I want to say is we just need to say these are real issues. And the problem is that just about every historical writer we read, we're going to encounter the same issues with them. And therefore, in effect, learning how to read Lewis is a very good way of learning how to read anyone from the past. So I suppose with all of those things, uh, bearing all of those things in mind, what do we need to consider and what, I guess, sort of frameworks or safeguards do we need to put in place before we can then dive into his work today, do you think, Alistair? You need to begin by saying Lewis was a man based in a particular culture at a particular time, and therefore he's shaped by some of these assumptions. And this can be a problem. Right. I recognise this. I recognize this in Lewis, and I recognize it with lots of other people as well. What I'm going to do is try and ask, how can I transcend these limits? How can I actually benefit from Lewis without being limited by him? And once you go in with that kind of attitude, actually it becomes surprisingly easy to um, put to one side the things that are really a bit embarrassing, you know, but action and pick out the jewels, the thing where Lewis says something which really transcends the limits of his culture, which actually speaks to us very, very powerfully today. So for me, I think we just need to go into this with our eyes wide open and see what we find in reading Lewis. So I suppose having said all of that, and they're really important considerations, what do you think are some of Lewis's works that really have aged well and do really stand the test of time? I think both Lewis's autobiography and Mere Christianity. So those are two works, Surprised by Joy and Mere Christianity. Surprised by Joy because it's Lewis simply telling a story. It's his own story. And actually, it's very, very easy to enter it. It's when Lewis talks about his own past, you say, well, he would. He's telling me his story, so I'm going to step into this. So, in effect, the, the pastness of Lewis's past actually becomes an asset rather than a liability. With mere Christianity, there are points at which Lewis echoes social norms of the 1940s. That's very, very clear. But actually, they don't, they don't really jar. They don't really make think, oh, dear. Um, it's much more a set of reflections and arguments. And actually, that has stood the test of time quite well. Both of these works were written in the early 1950s, and I think Lewis was probably at his best then. Uh, really very creative, very alert to his own voice and position as a writer. And actually, I think each of them, in their own different ways, um, presents us with a Lewis who actually is relatively easy to read and understand. And actually, that explains partly, I think, their popularity. 
Now, Lewis was obviously a great thinker, brilliant apologist, and he spoke to people's minds and intellects, but he was also a very powerful storyteller. You know, you think of the Narnia Chronicles. He appeals vividly to our imagination. Do you mind sharing a few reasons why you think that Lewis is relevant to both our heads and our hearts? I guess perhaps we start with our heads. Why do you believe that C.S. Lewis still, 60 years after his death, appeals to our heads? Well, Lewis is is a very rational thinker, but he's not rational in the sense of somebody who only uses reason. Lewis, in effect, understands the reason, feelings, imagination to be interwoven and interconnected, which actually is the way it is in human beings. There's no bit of us that, that is called reason. It's, it's, it's how we as human beings function. And we work together, reason, imagination, feelings, and Lewis does this. So he's a very rational thinker. In effect, if you look at mere Christianity, he says, let's, let's take a, an experience we have, which is a, a sense of moral obligation. Well, where does that come from? Where does it take us? And he, he rationally reflects on this. And actually, his argument is quite good. I mean, you might want to critique it at various points, but certainly it gets a really good discussion going. Or again, if you look at Miracles, which is also a, quite a rational book, what Lewis is really doing here is saying, let's, let's see what we mean by the idea of a miracle and where it takes us. So very often, Lewis is, in effect, appealing directly to our reason, even though he'll go beyond that. And one of the things I want to say is that there are many readers who appeal to the human reason and stop. That's it. Um, Lewis appeals to the reason and then adds to this. So, in effect, what you find is Lewis, if you like, reaching a much wider readership than someone who simply writes imaginatively or rationally. Lewis has this rich ability to kind of way bring these things together. Now, are there any other ways? You obviously articulated some there, but but why 60 years after his death, Lewis still speaks very powerfully to our hearts and our imaginations? Well, he does. And I think one of the most interesting things is to ask this question. Lewis actually grew up in an age which is still quite rationalist, we might call modern. Um, Why is Lewis so popular in the postmodern age? I think the answer is actually Lewis... Lewis, if you like, has different elements to him. There's the rational thinker, there's the imaginative thinker, there's a guy who tells wonderful stories. And the point is that Lewis simply breaks down these boundaries between modernism and postmodernism and all these things like post-rationalism is coming along now. Lewis, Lewis just does his thing and it works even in that changed culture. So my feeling is we're dealing with a slightly unusual character here in Lewis who actually um, is able to locate himself in a number of different mindsets and is found to be not simply acceptable, but rather helpful by people in those areas. So I think there are very few writers who I can think of who really are able to do this. I think, you know, people back in, you know, 60 years ago when Lewis had died, thought, right, this guy's days are numbers writer. He'll linger on for another five years, then that's it. Well, he surprised everybody. And I think we need to be very, very careful about writing Lewis off because Lewis is such a multifaceted writer, so rich that actually whatever lies around the corner in the history of Western culture, I've got a feeling that Lewis may actually connect up with that (laughs) rather well. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com.
If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.